I'm Carlos Kina, founding partner of Beyond the Deal, BTD for short, and this is our Beyond the Deal successful M&A delivered podcast. At BTD, we focus on delivering successful mergers, acquisitions, divestments, and alliances. Our approach helps smart and savvy organizations design, plan, and manage these activities for themselves and get as much long-term value from them as possible. Based on 20 years of experience across 150 international engagements, we've made this process as simple, discreet, and modular as possible to reflect today's needs. This podcast series will help guide you through the complexities of M&A, divestments, and alliances, bringing expertise and best practice from our team and other expert practitioners in our network. Our aim for each podcast is to provide you with practical, helpful nuggets, ideas, new perspectives, and things to try when planning or conducting your own acquisition, integration, divestment, separation, or alliance. We hope you finish each podcast with something new you hadn't considered before that will help you and your team be more successful. If you like our podcasts, please share, comment, or subscribe to our channel. BTD, from pre-deal to post, we help you go beyond the deal. Hello everyone, Carlos Kina here, and today we have Toby Tester with us. Toby is one of our BTD directors based in Sydney, and he brings over 25 years of experience managing integrations, separations, and large business and IT transformation projects across a wide range of industries in the US, the UK, India, and Australia. Hi Toby, thanks for joining me. Today, we're discussing how to use carve-outs as part of your pandemic recovery and what you should be doing to get ready. Uh, COVID is causing all sorts of disruptions to the market. One of the most obvious things that's going to be happening soon, in fact, has already started, is that companies are going to be looking to uh, carve out uh, parts of their organization uh, to help uh, either survive COVID uh, and the resultant uh, economic downturn uh, by generating some cash that they need to support other parts of their business. Uh, the downturn itself may, of course, also be highlighting those parts of their business that aren't doing so well and really need to be uh, uh, moved on to better owners of that asset. Um, so, you know, as with other crises, uh, this is a good opportunity for organizations to kind of refocus their business and think about where they want to go ahead and invest um, their uh, limited time and resources to maximize the profitability of their existing assets. Um, and, of course, yeah, this is also a, a good way just to... Uh, uh, take a look at assets that are no longer core, even once the recovery um, has taken place, uh, and they want to make sure and, and focus on on their core capabilities. So there's lots of different reasons why you might carve out part of your business. I think they will be accelerated through this process. Uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that in the coming 6, 12, possibly even 24 months. Uh, but it's not as simple as just deciding what parts of the business to sell and finding a good buyer. There's a lot more to it, especially from the separation and organizational side. So I'm pleased to be here with our um, team member, Toby Tester, um, who has a deep amount of experience in uh, divestments and carve-outs and separations. And we'll talk about this from the perspective of a divester, someone who is carving out and selling part of their business. Um, at the next session, uh, we will go ahead and take a look at what this looks like from the acquirer's perspective uh, in making sure that the company you're looking to buy that's being carved out from someone else uh, is being done in a way that's going to um, be in your best interest. But that's for uh, a later session. Um, Toby, thanks for being here. Yeah, it's good, Carlos. Um, so why don't we just get straight into it? I mean, the first point that comes to, to my mind uh, 
from an, an M&A and integration process is, of course, there's a lot more in M&A and integration around making sure that you're thinking long term. You're thinking about maximizing the value of the deal, uh, whereas yep. what a lot of people will say about uh, uh, divestments is actually it's all just about the cash. It's just about getting cash as quickly as possible. Is is that really all it is? Well, not not entirely, Carlos. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, we so often in the industry talk about acquisitions and, you know, quite often, often you know, organizations are quite good at, you know, the acquisition process and have got the management steps and the capabilities, you know, along with it. But it's not often that they actually go through the divestiture path. And it is different. And it isn't just about cash either. Um, and, you know, one of the things I, I say, and this is an important one, is that I think organizations should think about divestments, not just simply a way of getting cash and just getting an asset sold quickly, just get it out the door and all that sort of thing. I think it, it very much come down to creating value because it is a great opportunity to really get, have an asset, get into a position where you take a value creating approach. It's almost like buried treasure. In other words, it's someone else will pay more for that asset than your own estimate. And it's simply because they can do more with it than you can. Mm, yeah. And so that's the big benefit here. So there's a tremendous opportunity to, to deliver value back to your own organization, but also to the seller. And so it's very much about um, thinking very much in terms of um, who the buyer is and understanding in a deep sense what their needs are and how to make sure this asset is as attractive as possible um, uh, as part of the sale process. Can, can you give a specific example of that, Toby, uh, you know, on, on some uh, some project or engagement that you've been involved in? Um, yeah, sort of like um, if I have a particular sort of example, um, Let's say you are um, selling a business and you're saying to yourself, well, what can we do to maximize the value of this asset? Well, one of the things you can do, and this is just a simple example, is just to have a look at all those unrealized opportunities that haven't received the cash injection they need because often uh, an asset is going to be sold um, doesn't receive it, but have a look at those opportunities and say, well, look, complete the business case and say to a potential purchaser, this is what you can do with the business and here's what the potential operating cash flows will look like if you go ahead and invest in these opportunities. So they're like mini business cases. Now, if you just go that extra inch in terms of developing that and showing to a potential buyer, these are the things that you could be doing with this business if you're the new owner, then that will attract a higher premium. Mm. So in that case, it is quite uh, analogous to the the work that we've all done in, in M&A, especially around thinking about what, as a buyer, you could do with the business that the owner couldn't. Yes, indeed. Uh, and putting putting a value on that and then being able to use that to, to define your quote-unquote synergies. Indeed. And by the way, that was just one example. There are several more you can do to maximize the value of your asset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, what uh, what I've seen uh, was interesting, and, and you know, we, we both know of uh, one example of this specifically, even there are sometimes even cases where that added value is not because you're going to be integrating, not because the buyer will be integrating the entity that you're carving out, but because it's actually going to be of greater value as a standalone. So from a sum of parts calculation, it, it turns out that uh, 
you'll you'll generate value just by taking it out of the main business. Indeed, yeah, that's because if it's got some sort of special IP or if it's got special patents, which if you've got those, then those alone can be valued separately and probably more than they would be if um, tied with the parent. Yeah, yeah, and you know, alongside the uh, added opportunities that you might be able to do. Indeed. As an independent company that uh, that perhaps your corporate uh, parent wasn't necessarily allowing you to do because their own focus was correctly somewhere else. Yeah. Um. But but I mean sometimes Toby, it it is about the cash. Uh, you know, especially yeah. in the next uh, year or so, it's going to be about both generating a chunk of change as quickly as possible and making sure that you minimize business disruption along the way. And I mean one of the things that that we've both seen both on the M&A and the divestment side, of course, is the people who are doing the deal aren't necessarily always best placed to really understand organizationally what it's going to take to make this happen. And whereas on the M&A side, making this happen is about um, improving business performance to generate uh, to generate value on the divestment side. It's it's much more about making sure that you do the carve out well. Uh, and Indeed. without accidentally damaging uh, what you're leaving behind. What what advice would you be giving to make sure that organizationally companies are making sure this happens? Well, I think, Carlos, look, the key thing is, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, given the pandemic now, people might be saying, well, look, you know, I know we've got some assets we need to sell, but we'll do that, you know, when the when we get out of the recovery or maybe late in 2021. But to be honest, now's a really good time to be thinking about this because preparation really is key. And I would come down to a few things, and it's really important to understand this because this will really depend what the value is, but also how fast the carve-out will be. And I say, be clear what you're going to sell. Understand what this thing is. You know, is it a separate business unit or is it a number of business unit or some assets? But clear, be clear on what you're selling. Understand that's how I made. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds like an obvious statement, Toby. I mean, surely that's something that you know, through the asset register and, and elsewhere, the, the lawyer should make sure that uh, is nice and clear. Is, is that always well, the case here? Not, not entirely, because I think you do need to draw the boundaries around what goes with this um, business and what stays with the parent and making that very clear division. And that cuts across everything. That cuts across IP, assets, trademarks, people, technology, spits and pieces, so on and so forth. But it's very important to make that very clear division. Now, sometimes it is simple. In other words, the business to be sold may be a standalone legal entity, but quite often it's not. And it might be a combination of legal entities, certain assets and people. But nonetheless, you've got to draw that boundary very clear because the big part of this is that we need to be able to pull together financials and clear financials which say, tell us what this business is so we have some clear carve-out statements that define mm-hmm. financially what this business is and what its future projections are going to be. Yeah, yeah. of course, the real difficulty there is the degree to which that business is already integrated into everything else, whether it's just a or, or elsewhere. So it's, it's really about modeling, uh, yeah, making sure you really understand what that post-separation operating model looks like so you know what, what it would actually cost to run this business either Indeed. as a standalone or in, in the eyes of the, uh, the potential bidder, I guess. That's right, Carlos, yes. And I should say the other thing with all of this is that knowing what you're actually selling, but the other thing is understanding the complexity of what you're going to do. Because one of the surprising things, and I often hear this, is that people often say that doing an investment is actually quite complicated and, and actually quite surprised by it. 
Well, the surprising thing is, is that when you actually start basically lifting the um, the hood on um, on a business, it's amazing what springs out in terms of software, hardware, plant, property, equipment, contracts, processes, software, trademarks, and the list goes on. There right. is a lot of complexity there. But that's the important thing of preparation is to understand and get to grips with the complexity so there are no surprises as you go through the carve-out process and then suddenly realizing it's actually going to take a lot longer than you think. One, one of the first of these that I uh, uh, was involved in, the, the client referenced it as you know, taking the engine out of the car while it's still running. So you're somehow having to <laughs> unplug it all. Yeah. Uh, take the engine out, plug it back in again. You know, forget about the the uh, new buyer and what they yeah. need again. The fact is, you've got all these loose cables and bites yeah. and, and hoses and things. That's a good analogy, actually, Carlos. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, with all of that, you got to know if you're, for example, using that sort of you know, replacing the engine, have you got the skills and the capabilities to do that? You know, that's an important thing is that have you got past experience with that? You know, do you have the people? If, is there a level of commitment? You know, are there staff to do to be able to do this work? And so it's important to have the, you know, the knowledge and the experience and the skills and capabilities to actually manage a divestment successfully. And and you know, certainly comparing it to the M and A side, I think those those skills and experience and requirements um, have a lot of commonality. You need to know how to do good project and program management. You need to understand change. You need to have the senior sponsorship, you know, clarity of objectives, and so on. Is is there anything reflecting on that that complication and the fact that actually it's not just doing M and A backwards, as as some will joke? Um, is there anything different about how you manage and and more particularly govern uh, a divestment or carve out program. Actually, Carlos, funny enough, it's not that different. It's a different an emphasis, and there's certainly a, a difference in approach. But I think the important part of all of this is to define the governance and the scope upfront. Now that might sound obvious, but it really does pay it does actually benefit um, the organization to spend that time to define the governance structure but do it up front and not let it change so you should be able to anticipate the changes as you go through uh, the whole process of carving out potentially new come up um, a, new, a new buyer coming on board because that new buyer would have to be part of this governance structure as well and define it up front and make sure also that the needs and the interests of the retained business is included because yeah. if you carve out a business then you've got to make sure that you're not left with stranded operations stranded financials stranded legal issues you know the list continues so yeah. you need to think about the retained business as well and the one thing i would also say with all of this is don't let external advisors and deal makers undermine the governance process because they can quite easily start doing other things which might go outside. Well, for example, they might um, run the deal outside of the scope of this work. Um, so in other yeah. words, they will say, well, look, you know, quite frankly, we're not part of the carve-out exercise, and they might start running the deal independently. But having said that, what they're deciding and doing in actual fact, may fundamentally impact the carve-out work itself. So yeah. it's important that they actually stay within and don't start running amok. Yeah, very much like M&A and integration. I mean, if, if you consider, I guess, the uh, the unholy trinity that is beyond the deal, you know, the, the three different areas that we look at, acquisitions, yeah. divestments, alliances, divestments are striking me based on what you're saying as 
something that contains the pace of an integration, if anything, possibly even more so because yeah. you're trying to get this done as quickly as possible. But it's got to have that collaboration component um, that the alliance does because you really do have to work as deeply as you can with the potential buyer. Yes, you uh, do. Reclose to make sure that um, uh, you know that, that things are being separated out in a way that's going to work smoothly for them. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. You don't have the complete control over the situation that uh, at least people uh, think they do in a, a traditional integration scenario. No, because once the um, once the buyer comes on board, then it becomes very much a partnership in terms of not, not in governance, but also doing the work. Because and there's a bit of a yin and a yang here. You know, there are mm -hmm. some things that you know you're doing as a seller. There's some things that doing in the bar, but working out what those are can only be defined once once the buyer's on board and. Um, you know, in a deeper sense, what they need from from the deal. Once that gets better defined, then it then from a carve out perspective, it becomes clearer what what the remaining work is. So, so the job often actually becomes being a liaison between uh, the investor and the potential buyer, or even buyers, if it, if some of this is happening earlier. Indeed, indeed, that's that's very much the case. Yeah, it's very much a sort of liaison and and managing those relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And the cultural differences inherent within those. Um, so <laughs> what, what, I mean, one area that I think is probably quite similar, but often what we hear is organizations who uh, would say that you know, in a divestment, you know, the people aren't really important. I mean, yes, they were they were wonderful people to work with. But let's face it, by definition, once we've carved this out and sold it, those people are someone else's problem, not ours. In fact, you know, there's, there's an awful lot that we shouldn't be doing. Is is that really true? You know, is it is it possible to, in a sense, ignore the people aspect of this more than you might otherwise do when you're bringing them in? in, in well, if you, I'd say if you if you do find the find yourself potentially ignoring the people side, then I think what that may mean is that the the transaction itself could take longer, and also you may not get the value from the business that you think because. The people side is so important uh, because, after all, they're the ones who are actually um, part of the whole machinery of generating revenue um, for the business and its profitability. And so it's important that productivity continues and it doesn't take a dip, you know, um, mm. because if you have a drop of morale or, or if people feel disenchanted or start, you know, brushing up on their resumes and start thinking about looking for other jobs, well, what that means effectively is that um, productivity goes down, revenues go down, and then from a simple sort of, you know, law of mathematics and finance, then the valuation goes down. And so it's important that the people uh, who are part of this whole process, who go with the divested um, asset, are very much part of the change journey and it is something exciting it should be given direction purpose and meaning in other words that they got a future from this and that's very much the case and that's very true because some quite often assets are uh, somewhat neglected as part mm -hmm. of a large organization and the people who work in that uh, business to be divested are looking for a new future looking for a new direction and yeah. this is an incredible opportunity for that to actually happen but then it needs to be communicated and it is so important i think that when doing this that there's a senior sort of experienced person who can help um guide and direct and um make the journey exciting in itself as part yes. of this whole uh, divestment 
Yes, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, reflecting back on one of the earlier pieces that you mentioned, it's not just about the finances, I'd presume, because if you end up in that scenario where that division that you're carving out may have been neglected for quite a while, um, that's where you end up with um, processes that are no longer being followed, equipment that hasn't been maintained in a long time. Yeah. You may actually end up with a safety issue or even a reputational crisis. Indeed. From a risk management Indeed. standpoint, you, you've got to pay attention. Indeed, yes, and uh, so and that that's that that's a problem. In actual fact, even between signing and closing, you could even have worse things happen. So it's so important to keep the um, staff engaged and do right by the people. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, so so what one of the things we want to try and do with these um, podcasts is make sure that there are some really easy, practical, tangible nuggets. Of yep. advice that people are able to take away from this. So, if if there were three or four things, what what advice would you be giving to yourself um, twenty years previously, or to a uh, up and coming uh, divestment or carve out manager? You know, the funny thing is, Carlos, you know, running a divestment is actually a, quite a complex exercise, and there's a lot of detail. But if I was just to keep it just to four things, four things to make a carve out and a divestment fast and profitable. It really is just these things. One, take a value-driven approach. In other words, it is all about value. You're not just offloading an asset. You're not just getting the uh, things sold and getting out the door. It's not like that. Take a value-driven approach. Next, be clear on your own capabilities, the complexity of the work ahead, and what's actually being sold. Be clear up front. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, and this is a kind of a standard, but it, it's, it's always worth repeating because it is so important. Get your governance right up front. Be clear on the governance because it is so important because that's fundamentally about leadership. It's about direction. It's about people being empowered. So mm-hmm. get the governance. And then finally, do right by the staff themselves, ensuring that they the, the divestment journey is it, it's self-exciting, that it's got direction, it's got purpose, it's got meaning, it's got a new future for them. Yeah, and, and that's, that's give you, you as well. Yeah, and if you achieve all of those, you will basically be able to get a, a, a carve out fast and profitable. And when I say fast, we're talking just a few months here, you know, depending mm-hmm. on obviously the complexity, but you can do it so much faster. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And then, uh, potentially with far fewer TSAs and other uh, uh, pieces. <laughs> uh, Cheers. Well, that's yeah. another podcast there, Carlos, about TSAs. Uh, yes, a necessary true. evil, I'm afraid. <laughs> a, whole, a whole series of them that I can imagine. But I think, uh, yeah, as I said before, what we might do with the next one is go ahead and look at this from the acquirer standpoint. And no, that's not about integration. That's actually about uh, what the acquirer can and should try to do to help make sure that the separation uh, the thing they're going to buy goes well, uh, yes. even before they buy the company and then look to integrate it into their own business. Um, so that will be the subject of our next one. But uh, until then, right. thanks very much, Toby. Um, hope you all enjoyed listening Thank you very to that. Much, Carlos. Uh, watch out for the next one.